You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. Today's podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Folks, I don't know if you're anything like me, but Victory Monday hit different this time. And I know that the Bills didn't win the Super Bowl in Week 5 or anything like that, but... Monday had me in my feelings about this football team. All I wanted to do was watch replays of the game, look at the stats, think about the game, consume content about the game, be on social media. I mean, I didn't get to bed until like 4 a.m. on Monday morning, slept till about 9 or 9.30, and then uh, tried to work, but... My focus was only on the Buffalo Bills, and so uh, I got to play some catch up here the rest of the week. But I am still swooning over that thirty-eight to twenty win over the Kansas City Chiefs. And I tweeted at Joe Miller, and he was talking about the game. And I said the Bills were favored by seventeen points against the Houston Texans in Buffalo. They covered that spread on the road in Kansas City. Hashtag wildest dreams land. All right, with that out of the way, it's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of the discussion by sending in Bill's questions, comments, takes, whatever you have, and I respond to them here on the podcast. If you want to send something in, you can do it two ways. One is on Twitter. You can send me a DM. My handle is at the Joe Marino, or you can send me an email, Joe at the draftnetwork.com. Let's get started. Now, this first one, this was by far the most common question I was asked this week. You know, I get a lot of questions and I read through them. And this one I got from a ton of people. I'm going to read it from Chris, but Ken, Patrick, a ton of other people asked a very similar question. This is what Chris said. He said, I know how much you've talked about how much you enjoy the Sunday Night Football production. There are certainly parts I can agree with, like replays, but I thought Collinsworth was awful tonight, and for as much as I like Al Michaels, I didn't think he was much better. What are your thoughts on how they talked about the game last night? And so I felt this as the game was going on, and I'm listening to Chris Collinsworth analyze this game, and just how one-sided his analysis was. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I always tell the listeners that I love NBC. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of my love for NBC and the broadcast that they put on is from the camera angles, the quick replays, the amount of replays. I think it's a good football watching experience from your living room. Now, an afterthought in me loving NBC is talking about the commentating of Chris Collinsworth. Now, I normally think he does a pretty good job, but Sunday night was not one of those instances. It felt like 
He was wired and conditioned to watch this football game that was going to be the Chiefs waking up, right? Showing that they're not a team that is regressing and that Patrick Mahomes is still the toast of the NFL. And defensively, they were going to figure things out and beat a good football team in the Buffalo Bills. And that didn't happen. And I don't feel like he understood how to pivot from that. And so his one-sided thoughts and lack of understanding of what's going on with the Buffalo Bills was pretty disappointing. And so I maintain that the viewing experience in terms of camera angles, replays, all of that, it's top tier. But Collinsworth was bad on Sunday night. I was very disappointed. Next one comes from Danny who said, where is Diggs? Is he just not getting open or is Josh just not looking his way? He's had a very, very quiet year compared to last year. I like your thoughts on this. Go Bills. And I got this from a few other people as well. You know, like what's going on with Stefan Diggs? All right, so let's first of all acknowledge that he's on pace for 90 catches, 1,197 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, he's on pace for a good season. He set a high bar last year. But I think more than anything, Steph Diggs not necessarily being on pace to the numbers he put up last year is an indication that this offense still isn't firing on all cylinders. And that's okay. I don't need the Bills' offense to peak in week five or in October. The goal is to be playing your best football in November, December, and especially in January. And just think back to last year. Think about the way we talked about that football team through four games. The only thing they did well was throw the football. Couldn't play defense, couldn't run the football. Well, by the end of the year, the defense caught up. The run game really improved. And so this year is going to have its own narratives and different things that come up from it. But the Bills offense is playing pretty good, right? They're scoring a lot of points, but... I don't think they're firing on all cylinders or close to it at this point. And so the passing game production hasn't quite been there to the level we saw it last year. And as I've said a number of times on the podcast, there has been plenty of meat left on the bone for the Bills offense. Now, part of what's taking away from Diggs and the monster production is that the Bills are running the ball more frequently. They're running the ball better. Emmanuel Sanders is a factor in this offense. Dawson Knox is a factor in this offense. And it's not just Diggs. I mean, Cole Beasley has been pretty quiet this season, relatively speaking. How about Gabriel Davis? The guy's hardly a thought in this offense right now. And so I think the exciting thing is that the Bills offense can play better and that there's a lot of season left and that it's okay to not hit your stride in week five. Keep improving, keep confirming your identity, and play your best football when it matters the most. I think the good news within everything that I just said is that they're still scoring a lot of points, they're still getting well over 20 first downs a game, and they're tough to deal with. But the 2021 Buffalo Bills, they still haven't played their best game. And while you may think that's concerning, I think that's exciting because we still haven't seen the best of this team. The next one today comes from Sam, 
who says, maybe I'm just an eternal pessimist or even perfectionist, but does it not worry you how few of the Bills' first downs came via short yardage, dink and dunk style plays? Was this because the Chiefs nullified that 15-yard zone of the field and in turn challenged our run game and Josh's arm? Or was this another case of Josh playing hero ball and looking for multiple first downs in one play, for example, the multiple 20-plus yard downfield throws? I appreciated that he completed a good rate, and this did in turn change the game, but the offense moved so quickly that were it not for big plays by the defense, the Bills would have left Mahomes a lot of time on the clock. So Sam, I think you are highlighting something that I said repeatedly on the Monday podcast, which is it wasn't a very methodical game by the Bills offense. And I highlighted that third quarter where the Bills kind of kept punting the football and it was because of the pick six by Micah Hyde and the interception by Gregory Rousseau that allowed the Bills team to overcome what I thought was pretty stale offense there in the third quarter. And the Bills didn't do a good job of sustaining drives and stacking plays. Had a couple of decent drives, obviously at the end, and that first touchdown drive, they were really good drives, but for the most part, you didn't see a super efficient offense, and it relied on those big plays. Now, fortunately, they hit those big plays, but in a lot of ways, the script that worked for the Bills on Sunday night against the Chiefs was far from what I envisioned being what it would take for them to win the game. And so I think the silver lining here is that the Bills have proven this year that they can win games in a number of different ways. There isn't one script that the Bills have to cling to to win football games. They can run it. They can throw it deep. They can methodically work the football down the field. Of course, that is all complemented by really good defense. But if the big plays aren't there, the Bills can kind of dink and dunk and move the football more methodically. And vice versa, if the methodical approach isn't there, they can hit big plays. And so I think that's the silver lining, but I don't disagree with you in that I was kind of surprised in terms of how this offensive script worked on Sunday night. The next one comes from AJ who says, with the weather delay Sunday night, what are your thoughts on open stadiums compared to domes? And if the bills are making a mistake, love open air, but weather delays suck. Domes have so much more potential. Now, AJ, I have come full circle on this. I originally, when we first started talking stadiums, I said, man, I want a dome. I want perfect conditions, and I want this Bills offense to go out there and just never be hampered by the elements. And the more I thought about this, the more I realized I was wrong. I 100% believe that the Bills would be giving up a massive home field advantage late in the season when it matters most if they didn't have an open-air stadium. Now, I know that a lot of the Bills players are from the southeast or out west and that they didn't grow up in western New York and the elements, but living there during the season is significant. And practicing there on a daily basis is significant. And when I was watching the Browns and the Chargers game on Sunday afternoon before the Bills played the Chiefs, 
I'm watching this Browns-Chargers game, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, these are two good teams in the AFC, probably teams the Bills will have to deal with down the line. And I asked myself the question, which outcome here would be best for the Bills? And I very quickly understood that the best outcome for the Bills was that Cleveland won the football game. And the reason why I believe that is because if we're talking playoff seedings and where playoff games are going to be played, you want that team from Los Angeles coming across the country and playing outside in Western New York and getting away from that comfortable, luxurious SoFi Stadium there in Southern California. That's a massive, massive advantage for you. A team that's used to being out west 70, 80 degrees all year long. Well, come deal with a little wind and cold and maybe some snow here in western New York in January and see if you can beat us in an environment where we're comfortable. Remember Miami coming up from South Florida last December? Playing in those cold conditions? You saw what that Miami team looked like in a game that they needed? They win the football game against the Bills' backups. They go to the playoffs. They laid an egg. They couldn't handle the cold in Western New York. So yeah, I want the LA Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders and the Miami Dolphins or whatever teams are out there. I want them coming to Western New York in an open-air stadium when the games matter the most. Selfishly, yeah, I'd love to always sit there in perfect conditions, and enjoy watching a football game. But this is about competitive advantage, and the Bills would be ill-advised, in my opinion, to get rid of that advantage by embracing a covered stadium. needs to be open air, and they need to maintain the dynamics that make the Bills stadium a tough place for road teams to come and play. Football is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron with teams on the field for another season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And don't forget to use our promo code LOCKED ON to receive that bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and BetOnline is where the game starts. The next one today comes from Brian, who says, I think this defensive game plan and the way they went after the Chiefs was almost a mirror image of how they attacked them in Week 6 of last year, except this year they were actually able to stop the run. I also thought this was probably one of, if not the best game Tremaine Edmonds has played in his career. He won Defensive Player of the Week last week and was definitively better this week. So Brian, let's talk about that defensive game plan. And from the perspective of not blitzing, playing coverage, that was definitely a copy-paste of those dynamics. Now, I think something we have to remember from week six last year was that obviously the Bills are a lot better defensively this year and can play the run a lot better, but that game was pretty close. I mean, the Bills introduced 
enough variance in that game that it gave him a chance at the end. And if that Chiefs player would have fumbled, which he was really close to fumbling, the Bills had a reasonable chance to win. Now, what was missing from the game plan last year, the one thing that didn't work out that really ruined that idea was that the Bills' offense didn't show up. They didn't make the plays last year in Week 6 offensively. That was the one thing you didn't account for. Was Josh Allen and the Bills' offense laying an egg? And so when you copy-paste that game plan defensively from Week 6 last year and actually play good offense and make big plays, that's how you can get a dub. As for Tremaine Edmonds, I don't know if I would fully agree with you that he was better this week than against Houston, but it was another good game from Tremaine Edmonds, and I think that's what's the most important takeaway. Next one today comes from Justin, who says, What an unbelievable win on Sunday night. My questions for the pod are, did Kansas City do a good job of covering Cole Beasley? He was only targeted two times and seemed to be ghost the entire game. I also wondered what your thoughts might be as to why he is not getting the targets or catches like he did during the Pittsburgh and Washington game. Our defense is focusing on him more than other receivers. So there's some dynamics in play here. First of all, I do think we have to be reminded that Cole Beasley is two weeks removed from a career-high 11 catches. So that happened fairly recently. Just the last couple of games, he really has not been a factor. And I think what plays into that is the weather. You had two games that were played pretty much in the rain, and it was a game that was more reliant on running the football and maybe taking some shots down the field, which is not really what Cole Beasley does. If you think about that Pittsburgh game and that Washington game, it was more conducive for Beasley because the the environment was perfect for throwing the football to the short to intermediate areas of the field. I mean, it was perfect, sunny, beautiful days. And Josh was able to really be in rhythm and, and get the ball to Cole Beasley, particularly against Washington. And so I think the weather has played into that, but going way back to what we talked about towards the beginning of this podcast, the Bills offense isn't firing on all cylinders yet. And I think getting Cole Beasley established on a more consistent basis, Diggs, Gabriel Davis, you know, all these different weapons, the Bills got to get them all going. And there could be some games where the distribution of the football tilts differently towards different players. And the Bills ran a fair amount of two back sets and only one tight end, two receivers. And when they do that, it's not often going to be Cole Beasley as one of those two wide receivers on the field. So they've been working some different personnel groupings in there. They've been playing stylistically a little bit different style of offense. It's not necessarily as much 10 personnel and empty and just, you know, Josh Allen throw the football to the open guy in terms of just pure spread concepts. It's been a little bit different of a plan. And so I think that's what it comes down to more than anything. I don't think Cole Beasley's doing anything wrong. I don't think he's not getting open. I don't think he's falling out of favor with Josh Allen, anything like that. I think you just had a couple of games that had weather and different game plans that just didn't create those opportunities to really feed the football to Cole Beasley. And I think there will be plenty of games moving forward where that will be more of a thing. The next one today comes from Patch, who says, 
Spencer Brown is the third starter that sat out the 2020 season, and he mentioned Starla Tulele and Greg Rousseau. Based on this article by Matthew Fairburn, which was about Spencer Brown working with Joe Staley in the offseason, did Bill's Mafia gloss over the fact that he basically had a complete NFL offseason with an all-pro tackle? Was he more pro-ready than the coaches led on, having to earn their and teammates' trust before starting him? So this is a good question, and this is an opportunity that I want to take to highlight what I mean when I talk about I care more about your process and how you arrive to conclusions than your actual conclusion. Because the process to believing that Spencer Brown wouldn't be much of a factor in his rookie season is extremely sound. You're talking about a very gifted athlete with great size. And while he did train with Joe Staley, he only has two years of his life playing offensive tackle where he has game experience. He played eight-man football in high school where he was a tight end. He went to Northern Iowa, which is a small school, FCS level, and his team didn't play in 2020. So when you add all of that up, I think it's very logical to arrive at the conclusion that, you know what, Spencer Brown might not be a factor this season. You can recognize his talent, his pedigree, his size, his athleticism, his mentality, all of that stuff. But is it going to be enough for you to put him out there in his rookie season having to block NFL defensive ends? And so I think it is very sound process to arrive at that conclusion. Now, here we are with Spencer Brown seemingly entrenched as the right tackle. We're all extremely excited about him moving forward, and he's become a starter for the Bills, what, in week four? And he looks to be the guy moving forward? I think that's just about Spencer Brown, number one, and the work that he's put in. Number two, great coaching by Bobby Johnson to get him ready. So there's some layers to this, but I don't think it was a miscalculation to assume that he probably wouldn't start as a rookie, especially because you had Darrell Williams, who was great at right tackle last year, that they signed to an extension. And you had all these different options at guard. Well, here we are. It certainly took on a different life than I expected but I'm glad we're at this spot because I'm really excited about Spencer Brown as the Bills' starting right tackle. Next one comes from DK who says, Joe, you specifically and a lot of fans in general discuss how Josh Allen might not improve his 2020 numbers but become a better quarterback. I think this was really on display Sunday night in Kansas City in a game with bad weather, a delayed half, and in a tough road environment. Josh made plays that were available for total touchdowns, but didn't make big mistakes. I truly believe this was his most complete game. So DK, I think that's a good thing to bring up. You know, statistically, Josh may never have as good of a season as he did last year, but he can also simultaneously be a better quarterback. And Josh is going to be better for everything that he's gone through. He's proven that. I mean, you could go back to certain points in his career and identify turning points that made Josh Allen a better quarterback, 
whether that was getting Derek Anderson and Matt Barkley in the mix during his rookie season when he got injured, the way that he played after that injury with different types of receivers around him. You think about that 2019 season and the ebbs and flows in that Patriots game where the Bills really should have won the football game, but Josh turned the ball over multiple times and took a really bad hit that limited him from finishing the game as the starting quarterback. How he evolved that year going through the Houston playoff loss. How much better he was because of that. The ebbs and flows last year. Handling the success. Finding that consistency. Learning to beat the blitz. And you know cover zero. To evolving and seeing more zone defenses. And showing he can beat that. Then losing the AFC championship game being humbled in week one against Pittsburgh. I mean, all of these things have worked together to make Josh Allen the quarterback that he is today. And while statistically that might not always measure up to what he did in 2020, who else would you rather have back there? And I think Josh Allen's always going to be a player that his impact on the team, you can't measure with stats. He just does things that other guys can't do. The plays that he makes, the mindset, the mentality, the leadership, what he does during the week in practice, his skill set, and because he has this skill set, how it affects the way defenses have to play against the Bills. There's so much about Josh Allen as a football player that can't be measured. And there's so much opportunity that exists within the Bills' offense because he's the quarterback. So I love his growth. I love the trajectory that he's on. And maybe his passer rating isn't quite what it was last year or his completion percentage, but he's every bit as good of a quarterback. And my confidence level in him couldn't be higher. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com, at home and right in your pocket. Save time and save money when using Rock Auto. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Do you know what one of the best parts of football season is? Dips. I'm talking about guacamole, salsa, bean dip, queso, artichoke dip. The list goes on. My wife loves to make this amazing buffalo chicken dip. We love having tortilla chips handy for taco soup and chili. But do you know what one of the worst parts is? It's when that chip breaks in dip. And the team at Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips does not stand for weak tortilla chips because they know Nothing is worse than brittle chips that can't hold their guac. I mean, these chips are literally engineered to be able 
to be dipped in guacamole or buffalo chicken dip or whatever you have and be sturdy and not snap in half. And folks, they're not too sturdy. It's not like they're hard to eat. They have really perfected the tortilla chip to give you a an amazing tasting tortilla chip that's got wonderful sea salt on it. It doesn't break in the guac and it just has the perfect crunch and consistency and texture. I mean, this is the total package. It checks all the boxes in terms of what you should be looking for in a tortilla chip. And Zach's Mighty also partners with farms in upstate New York to grow their corn. So make sure you pick up a bag at your local Wegmans and say goodbye to weak chips forever. Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, stand up to guac. The next one today comes from Vin, who says, The Bills have officially arrived in the Super Bowl conversation, clearing the last big hurdle they had. My question is about the lack of use of Isaiah McKenzie in the offense. He's done well as a returner, but it seems to me like we do not see him taking as many offensive snaps as we have in previous seasons. I thought possibly they were saving a few big plays for the Kansas City game. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, the list is growing, right? Everybody wants more digs. Everybody wants more Gabe Davis, more Cole Beasley. We want more Isaiah McKenzie. You know, I think the reality is that the Bills are still finding themselves offensively and learning how to implement these skill sets. And week to week, the offenses really look different. It really has. Think about the the offense we watched against Pittsburgh to the one we saw against Houston, you know, the Kansas City game plan. It's been different week to week. And so I think there will be moments this year where McKinsey gets it going on offense, but his value right now to this football team is taking care of those returns, punt and kick returns. And so being able to perfect doing that and fielding the football consistently is a big task, especially with the wins that exist in Western New York. And so I think they really asked him to focus in on getting that down And as you solidify and entrench yourself as the returner, the opportunities in the offense will be there. So it's interesting because I think Isaiah McKenzie is as big of a factor as he's ever been in Buffalo, but he's as little of a factor as he's ever been offensively. And I think that will evolve and change as the season moves along. The next one today comes from Alex who says, it was great meeting you and David at the Texans game. Only wish I had spent more time talking bills with you. Anyway, With the offensive line shuffle, can you give some insight on any noticeable improvement or decline in performance? On another note, now that we're four to five games in, I like your opinion on how Emmanuel Sanders has fit into this team. I find that he's a noticeable upgrade to John Brown in both his diverse route tree and locker room leadership. So as for the offensive line, you know, I feel like I'm still feeling out this unit. It has changed a lot in five games. You go back to week one, and they're rotating some guards. Daryl Williams at right tackle. You go to the next game, they're not rotating the guards. Feliciano gets hurt. Spencer Brown's at right tackle. Daryl Williams at right guard. Ike Bakker at left guard. Now John Feliciano is healthy. He's back at left guard. I mean, this unit has looked different nearly every single game. And so I still feel like I'm getting comfortable with those players and understanding how they work together. I will say this. I think that Mitch Morse has been outstanding at center. He has been terrific. I think Daryl Williams has shown growth week to week at guard. I'm in love with Spencer Brown at right tackle. Deion Dawkins has become more and more consistent this year. You could tell he was off early in the season. He's playing a lot better. 
And I'm hopeful that John Feliciano can kind of settle in and be that left guard. Because if that can be true, the Bills' offensive line is signed through next year too in terms of the starters. And so that I hope that the group we saw against Kansas City can be the group moving forward for the right reasons. So I'm still feeling out this offensive line, but I'm encouraged. I think they've gotten better every week. Now, as for Emmanuel Sanders, my goodness, has he quickly became a very, very, very important piece of this offense. And uh, there's a lot that I can say here. First of all, very obvious that Gabriel Davis is not ready to be that number two receiver. Also, I am very concerned about replacing Emmanuel Sanders after this season and finding the right player for that role. Because I think this is probably going to be Sanders' last season. And if it's not, I'd love to bring him back, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. So he's quickly become very valuable. And so I want to enjoy him this year, but I do have some level of concern about replacing his role. Now, I do think he's an upgrade to John Brown. He's a more complete receiver. Obviously, the locker room leadership has been terrific. And I'll tell you what, I don't miss his press conferences. I love listening to Emmanuel Sanders talk. So I think he has been just the absolute perfect addition to this football team. And we got to be honest, like the Bills need him. They clearly didn't have somebody that was ready to really step in and be that guy opposite of Diggs. Cole Beasley does his thing from the slot, but Gabriel Davis has been quiet this year. Jake Kumaro has not really helped this offense. Isaiah McKenzie really is focusing on this return stuff right now. So we need to enjoy Sanders, but we also need to be mindful of replacing him. And so that's down the line. Let's enjoy this season. But his value to the team has been evident, and I'm already a little bit nervous about not having him in 2022. The next one today comes from Brian, who says, now that the Bills have finally beaten their recent rivals, the Chiefs, I'm wondering which team in the league you think stands the best chance to beat Allen and company. I'm not saying the Bills are necessarily the best team in the league, but I do believe they can beat anyone if they play it right. And I'm wondering what team you think would give the Bills the most trouble and why. It's a great question, Brian. I think it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, obviously, offensively, Tom Brady knows what to do with the football. He's playing as well as he ever has. They have a good offensive line, good receivers, below average running backs, but who cares? They can throw the football and they block well. Defensively, they don't give you anything on the ground. They make you one-dimensional. They have great speed on the second level of their defense. Levante David is a stud at linebacker. Devin White is dynamic as a blitzer. They've got multiple pass rushers and Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett and Joe Tryon that can get after the quarterback. And their secondary is banged up right now, but if they get healthy, they've got some really nice press man cover corners, guys that will be physical at the line of scrimmage, and you know they'll really squeeze routes and make it difficult on you. So that's the team. That's the team right now that I would have the most concern about in terms of how the Bills match up with them. Now, I do think that it's a benefit that they play during the regular season, and they'll be able to feel each other out that way, if they do meet in the Super Bowl, I think that will be a benefit to the Bills. Obviously, last year, it was a benefit to the Bucks that the Chiefs and Bucks played during the regular season. But 
I do think that it would be a benefit to the Bills, regardless of what happens in that game, to have that feeling out opportunity before they meet in the Super Bowl. So right now, to me, it's the Bucks, And I'm not sitting here telling you that I think that the Bucks are better than the Bills or that they're the best team in the NFL. I'm just saying that's the team right now that I believe is the biggest threat and the biggest challenge in terms of how they match up with Buffalo. The next one today comes from Daniel who says, can you please share your thoughts on Bean's approach to the draft? It seems like he is keen on traits and likes to take shots on raw prospects. For example, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, Dawson Knox, Greg Rousseau, Spencer Brown. Guys that are often touted as pro-ready don't usually seem to make it to the Bills come the draft, save for maybe Boogie and Harrison Phillips. This seems to be a very high-risk, high-reward path and also means that there has to be incredible synergies with the coaching staff knowing they have to mold the clay, so to speak. Is it is this a common approach in the NFL and what is making the Bills so successful at it? Is it being in his staff finding the right clay, McDermott and his staff in molding it, or truly a combination of both? Daniel, I do think it is a combination of both. There's a very clear understanding between Brandon Bean and the coaching staff and what they're looking for. And I think coaches prefer this. They prefer to have guys that don't have bad habits, that aren't you know, finished products where they can really get their hands on them and train them to be the players that they want them to be. I think that the coaching staff invites this. And yeah, it's high risk, high reward, but when you are so particular about the people that you're going to bring into your organization and you have such a clear understanding and a plan for what you want those players to do, I think that synergy has led to the Bills having more hits and, and being on the high reward part of that high risk, high reward ratio. And yeah, I, I just I believe it is that synergy, the continuity, right? You've got a, a scouting staff and a front office that has worked together for several off seasons now, a coaching staff that has been together. And when this all exists, it's just going to lead to the right mindset and the right criteria to be able to hit on draft picks. And so I think that's what it comes down to. And I think why other teams aren't as successful with that type of plan is they don't have the continuity and the synergy, whether it's at the coaching staff level or the scouting staff, the front office, whatever it is, it hasn't been together like the bills have and that culture, right? Like that DNA, all that stuff, all those buzzwords, they mean something in Buffalo. And because of that, they're right a whole lot more often than they're wrong. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, it's time to get into the weeds with the Bills' opponent in Week 6, the Tennessee Titans. So we'll break that team down from every angle, talk about the challenges they present and what the Bills need to do to go into Nashville, get a win, and be 5-1 and one entering the bye week. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.